Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Patrick Lang. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to this conversation we're going to do. We've talked about buying and selling businesses before, and we're going to chat about Patrick's very interesting journey, his entrepreneurship journey, how he got to where he is today. But he is a broker, but specifically of heating and air businesses, or what you might heard referred to, and I'll refer to as HVAC businesses. So it's a very specific and interesting niche. And so we're going to have a chance to chat with Patrick about why and, and the opportunities that might exist there to buy or to sell uh, heating and air business. Uh, Patrick Lang, is his company is called Business Modification Group, and he specializes in the sale, as I said, sale and acquisition of heating and air companies. Patrick has been an op- entrepreneur his entire life, buying, growing, and selling businesses in multiple industries, including owning a residential heating and air company himself. Patrick is considered an expert in the field of business brokerage, having earned multiple awards for transactions and dollar volume of businesses sold. Patrick decided several years ago to focus, as I said, exclusively on heating and air companies after seeing a need for someone with that specific knowledge of this industry. And and as well as the ability to market, he knows how to market these businesses in an effective manner to help his clients achieve predictable results. Since he made that transition, He has sold more heating and air companies than any other broker. In addition to facilitating the sale of heating and air companies, Patrick also provides valuation, and we'll chat about that a little bit as well, valuation services for those who are interested in learning the current value of their business in the market, as well as strategies to increasing the potential selling price, the value of that business. Patrick lives in Horseshoe Beach, Florida, which is over near Tallahassee in that part of Florida. And so once again, Patrick Lang, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. I really, once again, I appreciate being here. Absolutely. So, you know, I I should have read it from the bio uh, as I was thinking about the questions on your journey, but I'd like to start there. You own your own business from day one. You never worked for anybody else? So I graduated when I was young. I I worked uh, actually in a meat market when I started Uh when I was 12 years old and uh, washing dishes and then up through learning how to cut meat. And that's how I went through college. And when I graduated college, I I had a job at uh, Kmart as an assistant store manager. And then that was my last my last job working for somebody else. So I was probably 20. 22, 23 years old, and I'm almost 50 now. So it's, I've been self-employed a lot longer than I've been employed. Wow. So you, you know what the blue light special means then, obviously. Absolutely. Yes, sir. I was there for that. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who are younger or may not have never partook of a Kmart, they actually, the way I remember it, Patrick, is they would roll out this little cart that had a pole with like a blue cop light on the top of it. And they would turn that on. And I guess whatever was near that was the blue light special. That's how I remember it. Yeah, they would announce it through the store. So right. it was, you know, in aisle, aisle 13, we're having a blue light special on <laughs> pantyhose. And, and it was a mad rush on the pantyhose. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an incredible marketing thing that obviously worked for a number of years. But it did. like everything else in retail, it, it ran its course, I guess. That's right. That's right. All right. Wonderful. So you started uh, initially in the financial planning space. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. So after my uh, 
my adventures with Kmart, I became licensed as a uh, financial advisor. I went to work for what was American Express Financial Advisors, which eventually became Ameriprise Financial, which it still is today. Um, grew my business. I had three offices. I had an office in Sarasota, one in Arcadia, Florida, and one in Sebring, Florida. Wow. And uh, managed uh, about $140 million in client assets. And um, kind of weird. I, I did that for 13 or 14 years. And and woke up one day and realized it just wasn't fun anymore. Interesting. Um, How old I, were you a, when you started? I was 24. Wow. So I, I've known some people that go into that industry because there's a lot of opportunities there. My, my biggest challenge is how do you, how, um, I know we're going on a tangent here. How did you overcome the lack of experience that you were a 24 year old, you know, trying to advise people maybe twice your age on their finances? How did yeah, you overcome and, that? Yeah, in reality, often three times my age. Yeah. You know, the bulk of my clients were retirees. Uh, obviously, being in Florida, that's where a large concentration of wealth is. And, um, and you know, it, it, Ameriprise is a big firm. And so starting off, they would partner younger advisors with older. And, um, and then it just it was never an issue after that. So you borrowed trust. You borrowed trust from the, from the organization, the name, the brand and also a more senior person. Is that fair then? Yeah, that, exactly. Interesting. All right. So uh, we'll fast forward. Obviously, you've done a lot of different things. You've owned a pool company you had shared with me. How did you land on the HVAC business that you had? So I've been a broker now for probably 14 or 15 years, and I've sold everything, bars, restaurants, flower shops, you name it, kind of I've sold it. And I listed a heating and air company for sale. And um, I love businesses with barriers to entry, needing a license, needing something like that. So I listed it and then decided to buy it. And, and that's how you got. So that barrier to entry is one of those qualifiers. I want to make a note of that because that's so, I think that's so critical as one of the things you look for so that you have some protection against increasing competition. Absolutely. And price competition. Um, I, I had owned a swimming pool service company in the past, and really there was no licensing requirements there. Right. So anybody you can were, become a pool cleaner or, or wait, it, and, and start their exactly. put up their shingle tomorrow, and they're in business. Well, and, and and I also like businesses that typically during ups and downs in the economy, people mm. still necessarily need you. Um, I've had money, and I've not had money, but we've always had cold air in the summer and warm air in the winter, and so I think you know heating and air is one of those things most people are not willing to do without. Yeah. All right. As before we dive into this, this type of business, you've been a business owner your entire life. What, what do you think drove that? Was it modeled for you? What, what drove this desire to be your own boss from early on? You know, I, I really think working in that meat market, we start, when I started there as a 12 year old, we were doing a hundred dollars a day in sales. And when I left after graduating college, there was days where they were doing 20 and $30,000 a day in sales. And, um, and it was just taking care of people and working hard. And I love that. But you could have continued working for somebody else to help them do that. What was it that in you said, I want to do that? Well, I think it's the ultimately the control. Um, you know, you eat your own cooking when you're self-employed. And so there's good days that, that you're glad you do and bad days that you wish you didn't. But uh, ultimately, uh, you're only limited by your own willingness to go to work. Yeah, well said. What does, at this point in your life, what does being a business owner provide you? 
you know, for me, it's freedom. I'm, uh, I can be anywhere in the country. And if I have my cell phone and my laptop, I can still be working based on the business model I have now. And so I've coached all my kids in sports. I've been active in the communities that I live in. I, I, it's allowed me to, to have more freedom in my opinion. Yeah. That's such a big one, Patrick. I mean, that, I think that's such a common one across all of us who are entrepreneurs is that desire to have that control or freedom. Yeah. I just got back from spending, I don't know, what is it? Five days at Disney world. And a couple of weeks ago I was on a cruise and sure it required a lot of juggling of scheduling, but I didn't have to ask for permission. Right. Um, and that's something that was always so such a driver for me to become a business owner. Absolutely. And, and that doesn't mean I'm not working at 10 o'clock at night. Sometimes. Exactly. exactly. Um, but it's a choice and, and I get to make that choice. And we're doing it for our own businesses. We're building wealth for ourselves, not for someone else like you were doing when you were working at the butcher shop. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into it. I thought we would start Patrick by defining, uh, you know, most people might know, but just defining what are the typical services that an HVAC or heating and air company typically provides? You know, it depends. There's kind of two different business models. One would be commercial, the other residential. Typical residential is taking care of your air conditioner or your heater in your house, um, where commercial is often refrigeration, uh, more commercial projects. And then there's a dividing line between new construction versus service. And um, the bulk of what I sell is residential um, and more service-based simply because there's more of them. And that's what buyers are looking for. So that's where the market is. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so let's go with residential for, for generally the types of questions that, that we'll ask here. But you'll tell me when there's a big difference. What are then, as we're talking about the residential HVAC business or heating and air business, what are some of the misconceptions that you found about this industry? Well, limit, limitations to income. You know, I was completely ignorant coming from a financial background. I was completely ignorant to the amount of revenue that can be earned in the trades. Hmm. And, but does that, is that because often in some of these trades, people will go the solopreneur route and not build it into a business? Do you think that's where maybe the misconception comes from as to the money that is there potentially? I think, uh, yes, I think that's part of it. And I think part of it is uh, it's a blue collar kind of field for the most part. And most people just, myself included, didn't know that you could either be an employee making $100,000 plus per year in the trades or be an owner making millions of dollars. I was yeah. completely ignorant to it. And that happens a lot with these types of businesses is I know a misconception would be, well, I don't know anything about HVAC systems. I'm, I don't want to be the one out there repairing ACs. What do you say to that concern? Fantastic. I, I, I can't fix an air conditioner today. And uh, I owned a heating and air company for a number of years. And I had to focus on the things that I could control. I couldn't, I couldn't go fix the air conditioner when a customer called, but I could make the phone ring. I could deliver a better experience. I could manage the finances. I could do other things and put people in the right places that could. Yeah. Do you find, I have found sometimes with these types of businesses that it, it can really to build it as a business can sometimes be an advantage that you can't do the repairs yourself because you're not tempted to get 
consumed in the business. In other words, you'll focus on building the business instead of working in the business. What, what are your thoughts on that? 100% correct. The companies that I see that struggle to get to grow um, are caused by the owner won't get themselves out of a truck mm-hmm. because they can fix the air conditioner. They believe better than anybody else can, and they don't focus on the other things. So you're 100% correct. I've sold many companies for many millions of dollars with people who couldn't fix an air conditioner if their life depended on it, but they ran multi-million dollar heating and air companies. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the thing I always say to that, Patrick, is you're probably right. You probably are the best at it. The thing you have to look at it is, okay, how do I now help others develop that expertise and knowledge so that I can step back? Because that's the, I think that's where people get stuck. They are probably the expert. They probably are the best at it. That's probably how they got there. Maybe they built that experience working for many years and now they've started on their own, but it's transitioning. If you're going to become a business owner, you have to be able to hire people and teach people to get to that level that is at least more than good enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's the best use of your time and, and in any field, whether it's heating and air plumbing or owning a flower shop, you're, you only can do so much in a day and you need to make sure that you're doing the best use of your time. So you're hundred percent correct. Yeah. All right. I did. This is, so this is just my analysis running some quick numbers and I'm not good at math, so let's put that up. <laughs> so use a spreadsheet. And so this is not to be taken by anybody listening that it's mine or Patrick's um, guidance on what you should expect. But I just looked at the, the businesses that you had for sale on the website in Florida. There's about 11 of them. And I just kind of looked at the rev because you, you share on their revenue, profits, and what the seller is asking for. And I took those numbers and just calculated average margin, profit margin. And everybody has a different definition of profit margin, but typically in a small business, that's also referred to as, you know, the, the owner's discretionary income or the total benefit to the owner. But I got from those 11 transactions, not transactions, businesses that you have listed, an average is about 20%. There were some outliers. So it ranged uh, anywhere from 10% to 49%, but on average, that average to about 20% and margins. So where I'm going with this is a multiple part question. You had mentioned, you know, the barrier to entry. Um, it's escaping my mind. The other thing you mentioned as to why the HVAC business, but it'll come to me. The other thing I look at when I'm evaluating a business that I might want to go into is what, what's the potential here for profitability? Is that 20% average? Is that realistic? Is that way off or is... Is that one point of guidance that you would recommend? No, you're, you're spot on. Um, a, a decently well-run heating and air company will have an owner's benefit or seller discretionary earnings of around 20%. That's okay. pretty real. Excellent. Excellent. Of course, there are outliers like you had. Right. You, know, you had some that are much higher, some that are lower. So there's no guarantee ever. And right. I recommend to anybody listening and, and, you know, Patrick can help you with this, but you also want to do it yourself as you want to do the financial analysis and projections. And then you never know, but that's an important measure because that's the other reason. That's the other way that I look at whether a business makes sense for me, you know, and everybody has a different hurdle rate, if you will, that they're comparing that to, to judge whether the risk makes sense for them. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting is because it had the price, it kind of gave me an idea of what, at least from an asking price perspective, the multiple was. And again, 
The way that I look at multiples is the very simple calculation. We're going to touch a little bit more on more, more ways, more sophisticated ways to value a business. But one of the ways is I just take the profits that it's generating and the asking price and what multiple is that. So that averaged out of these 11 uh, businesses that you had listed at an average of about 3.1, which I have found that that's pretty typical for a small business. But do you think it's pretty typical for these types of businesses? Yes, it is. It's gone up a little bit over the last 12 to 18 months. Um, typically, a company that size, as you look across all industries, uh, what you've been referencing, what I've got listed in Florida currently is, you know, a two to three time multiple is pretty real. Um, the heating and airspace has picked up because of a lot of private equity interest. So it's it's kind of pulled the numbers up a little bit more, but that's typically a, a, a normal guideline. Right. Thank you. So what's been driving that private equity? In other, in other industries, it's a lack of the, or the existence of a lot of fragmentation, right? There's not a there's not enough, there's not that many big national brands, so there's opportunities to consolidate. Is that what's happening in this space as well? Yes. Yeah, 100% is the fragmentation. And I think uh, private equity kind of a sees a, it's a kind of follow the leader kind of thing. And so I think a lot of people moved into the space and it's brought a lot more people in. And because of COVID, obviously there was a lot of other industries that were hurt right. where heating and air did typically residential heating and air did pretty well during COVID because everybody was at home mm -hmm. and wanted their air conditioners working. Yeah. 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 It was the point that I was forgetting earlier that you made about, you know, uh, economy or recession proof, as we say, or resistant is probably a better term. Right. Things like even the pandemic, you still had to have air conditioner at your home, especially if you were working from home. So yeah, great, great point as to what's driving some of the higher multiples, depending on how your business is operating. All right. So great. So thanks for confirming that, because for me, that's that's always something people are will shy away from. So something in the 20 percent range of net profit can be much higher, can be much lower. Something in the range of about three point one or so multiples could be higher, could be lower. But that's what you're seeing. And that is that hold true nationwide or is it obvious that maybe in the south more so than in the north or not? Tell me about that. Yeah, typically nationwide, there's a few markets that have some more buyer interest than other places. Atlanta, L.A., Las Vegas, Phoenix, you know, bigger markets that are really having big growth um, are, are a little bit higher, but not astronomically. Okay. All right. Where I'd like to go next, Patrick, is kind of do a little bit deeper dive on both sides of it, the buying and the selling. And let's start with the buying. I'll start with this general question. We've touched on some of it already, but maybe recap and expand. Why should I consider buying a heating and air company? Well, number one, income. Obviously, I mean it's a it's a a industry that um, is, as you mentioned, is fairly recession resistant. Um, and once, as I said earlier, you know, most people in the summertime are not going to do without cold air, and the wintertime heat. And then the the kind of final thing is. Almost anything else uh, in your home. If a if a light switch breaks, you can go to Home Depot or Lowe's or somewhere and buy a part. If a if your sink leaks, even if you're not a particularly a handy person, you could find a way to get that fixed. Yeah. If your air conditioner breaks, most of the parts you need a special license just to be able to buy. So you don't have an option but to hire somebody to do it. 
Yeah, that's a great point. But what about from an initial investment perspective? If I'm just going to start by myself, what what is what are, what are the things that I got to have to acquire asset wise to get started? Typically, within the price range and multiples you were talking about, it's all inclusive. Yeah, it'll have a minimum level of inventory guaranteed with it. Okay. The beauty the beauty of the trades and other industries, and and because obviously I do the trades all day, I could talk more about that, but the most of the services is paid at the time of service. So you're profitable the minute the van leaves your yard. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to somebody's house. And if your pricing is set properly, you're going to get paid instantly uh, for the work that's been completed. So you're not financing, you're not right. carrying a note, you're not tracking down money. Um, so, so those things limit really what the cash outlay is. Now there's certain times a year that are a little slower than others. Um, but overall, um, typically it's profitable 12 months of the year. So obviously those are the things I'm looking at very closely. If I'm evaluating a business to buy is the inventory they have on hand, the uh, fleet or whatever vehicles they have, those types of things are of course important. And does that then change the way you typically value just to touch on that now, typically value a business is the value of those assets as well. Yeah, it's inclusive in there. Um, normally in that multiple is going to be the assets that are needed to, to generate the revenue that it's generating. So you can't sell a business that requires trucks and not sell the trucks with it. Right. Um, now, if you have, especially right now, you know, there's almost a shortage on vans and trucks taking place across the country. So it's even more important today than it was say two years ago. But certainly if you have uh, 2020 trucks versus 2001 trucks, there's going to be a different value applied to this. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are some of the things that I think are unique about this kind of business that we need to look at as we evaluate a potential heating and air company to buy. Right. Absolutely. What about, uh, is this a, not knowing anything about this industry, is this one where your distributorship relationships are important? Explain how that works to me at a high level. Yeah, extremely important in my opinion. I think I'm a big people business uh, kind of person. I think the relationships drive businesses. And um, and so absolutely where you buy your product from is typically a local supply house. And uh, especially like for me, somebody new with no heating and air experience, I leaned heavy on those people when I bought mm -hmm. the business because I didn't know the difference between a capacitor or a contactor. I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know one part or one manufacturer or what was good, what was bad. And so finding relationships with those people, because they're mutually beneficial, right? You're spending money with them and they're making profit. And the, the better you do for them, hopefully the more money they're going to make. So there's a vested interest. And so leveraging those uh, was extremely important to me. Yeah, no, well said. I, I was in the car wash industry and there as well, the distributorship relationship is important. But as you touched on, it can be such a source of uh, support, knowledge, education, because like, as you articulated, they want you to be successful. Um, so yeah, so that that is a critical part of it. What else? What else do you think is, besides the things that you would typically evaluate when considering a business, and we've touched on fleet, we just touched on distributorship, inventory, what else do you think is uncommon that you need to consider with this type of business? Well, and, and, and I'm... I'm the eternal optimist. I think when it comes to business, I believe you can make money doing anything. Yeah. 
I drive down 75, not far from where I live and see billboards about hauling manure out. I mean, you could get paid to, to haul somebody's manure out of their horse stalls. I, I, I really believe that you can make money doing anything. And so I think as you're, as you're looking at a business, the, the numbers are important. Obviously, at the end of the day, it mathematically needs to make sense. But, but what do you want to do? You know, what do you think you're going to enjoy? Are you an inside person, an outside person? Do you like dealing with people? Do you not like dealing with people? And so, once again, there's so many different opportunities out there for you to acquire or grow companies that that finding something you'd like, uh, I, I think, is something that people overlook so often, but can make the difference on the that 14-hour day when things aren't going well and you've got to still do get things done. Doing something you enjoy is something that's under underrated, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, well said. Now, let me ask you. You know, we're, we were just touching on it, and it's part of what you're saying as well. And we touched on touched on it earlier. If I have no experience with heating and air, you know, except for that I know how to adjust the thermostat and change an air filter, right? It, it, I think you've answered this question already. It's still, you think a good fit, but how do I approach it? How do I know, for example? that I'm hiring qualified people to go do the work? How do you, how do you help them with that? You know, that's an excellent question, Henry. And the first six months that I owned a heating and air company, I didn't sleep for that exact reason. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so, so my, you know, my wife thought I was nuts. Some people have a midlife crisis and buy a Corvette and I buy a heating and air company and I can't fix an air conditioner. So, <laughs> so, so that was, that was the reality. And I spent, all day, every day in the business. I climbed in the truck with the guys when they were going to install something so I could learn. I'm enough to be dangerous now, but the reality is, and I'm not saying this to take away from a heating and air technician because they're very smart people and they know a lot more than I do about fixing and air conditioners, but but it's kind of the same thing over and over again. And so once you have an understanding that that it should only take 20 minutes to fix a capacitor, not 20 hours, those little distinctions, then you're able to identify who's a good employee and who's not. And so starting out, what I suggest for, for buyers who are going into industries that they don't know anything about is getting the seller to stick around for six months or so to help them with that transition, to help educate them so they can get their feet wet and then they're in a better position to know. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. That transition part is so critical to make sure you you negotiate that. Um, and then over time, you're going to learn, like you said, the basics of it. Uh, so great advice there. What about, I, I know there are some franchises that uh, serve this space. What, what are your thoughts there at a high level? You know, I haven't had a lot of experience with them, so I'm not an expert to be able to say good or bad. I have sold a few. Um, and the one... It's like anything else, uh, mixed emotions. One person loved it, best thing they could have ever done for their business. Another person felt like they were handicapped and they were paying too much money for it. So I think, you know, I, I think franchises are an excellent opportunity for the right person, but you have to be that right person. If you love freedom and flexibility, chances are a franchise may not be the first place for you to look. If you like a track to run on and some guidance, then they could be an excellent place. So it really depends on personality and what your needs are. Right. Yeah. It's just like any other franchise making that evaluation as to whether it's a fit for you. Um, and then, and then going from there. All right. Excellent. Let's flip it now to, I have an HVAC business and I'm looking to potentially perhaps sell it. Um, let me ask this question. What are, what are some of the common char characteristics 
of those air and heating companies that sell best, and I'm using that term loosely, best meaning they got the price that the that the old that the seller was was happy with. It was a good company that now the next person is going to be able to take over and be successful with as well. What are some of the common things that stand out that make for that type of a business? Yeah, absolutely. And and so you know this is not exclusive to heating and air. So exactly. this is going to be yeah. this yeah. is going to be anybody looking. Um, at at um, at selling a company at some point, which I I always advise people when they're building their company, build it like you're going to sell it, and we could talk about that more later. But um, first thing is clean books and records. So many people get uh, what's a polite way I'd say creative with their accounting <laughs> in an attempt to minimize taxes, but then expect somebody to pay them for that creativity. So my my saying, which is somewhat a joke, but it's not, you can't get paid to steal twice. You can't, <laughs> you can't take money from the federal government by not paying taxes and hiding money and then expect a buyer to pay you for it. Just like you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy it yourself. And so, so making sure you've got clean books and records and not treating your business like it's your personal bank account, that would be number one, being able to track that revenue so somebody can see it. Number two is separating you from the business. If it's Henry's heating and air and Henry runs every service call and Henry's the face of the company and everybody knows Henry, when Henry leaves, the company leaves with him. And so, and that doesn't matter if it's Henry's flower shop or Henry's restaurant or Henry's anything. So separating yourself from the business and putting systems and people in place. Third thing is going to be uh, creating predictable and, and repeatable revenue. Buyers love customers who come back and continue to spend money, not having to look for a new person to sell something new to every day. And once again, it's whether you own an auto repair shop or a heating and air company or a flower shop, once you've spent that money on the customer, maximizing that customer value is so important. And then staying away from that one-time work, new construction type of stuff makes buyers nervous in any industry. Um, and, and once again, building systems and people that run the system for you, and that's what will lead to the highest value. Excellent, excellent stuff. And, and you're right, just all of this can apply to any business. And uh, I love the way you explain the creativity part on the financial. That's, <laughs> that's a great way to explain it. Uh, on, the, on the predictable um, revenues and repeat customers, so I would go, I would analyze in that type of situation or for that data point, rather, what, uh, what, how they're tracking repeat customers, right? And so I would look for that because that's not often, it may not even be something there. Well, if they're doing it well, they're probably tracking that, right? Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that information will be there and they will actually highlight that and that I have to look for that for this type of business that is based on that repeat business is at the heart of it. Absolutely. And I, and each business is going to track that differently. You know, sure. if it's heating and air, sure. you're going to have the customer name and address yeah. and a database of some sort of how you do it. And that's, that's the other part is how you track, how well you track that information. And that goes back to having clean books and records, having right. ways to track it, not, not saying there's a file cabinet full of paper and somewhere in there's customer data being able to provide, here's Mrs. Smith's name. Here's how many times we've been there over the last X amount of time. Here's what she has. And here's how we can market back to her. Yeah. If I can find that 
and re readily. And you see that that business is understands why you're asking that question and can show you that that tells you a lot about the, the health and the future of that business. And one of the key things I look at Henry too, when looking at a company is what, what percent of their revenue spent on advertising? So if you're if you're in a business that is having to spend a tremendous amount of money day in and day out on marketing, chances are you're not marketing to your existing customers. Uh -huh. What uh, you know, I've always used a rule of thumb for a, for a mature business of you know anywhere from five to ten percent of projected revenues. Is there a rule of thumb or where you like to see what range you like to see that as a percentage of revenues? You're, you're spot on. Um, five to 10% is real. 10% on a growing company, you know, a mature company that's still growing. Um, but I see a lot of strong heating and air companies that their marketing budget zero. Yeah, yeah, which is no the good. The phone just rings. It's repeat revenue. Yeah. Well, well and I referrals. say it's no good in that. Do you, well, let me ask you, do you think that's good or you think that indicates a, a potential problem as well? You know, it's, I think it's a, it's a bad spot for me to be in. So I, I meet with a lot of people and their number one thing they say to me is we don't spend any money on marketing. The okay. phone just rings. Okay. And so good for them. They yeah. built a business that's at the level that they want it to be. Mm -hmm. The, the entrepreneur in me, my eyes roll in the back of my head <laughs> thinking, wow, you have a company that does a million or 2 million or $3 million and you spend nothing on marketing. Imagine if you spent a little money on marketing, what it could be doing. So, but but who am I to tell somebody what the ideal income needs to be? You've made two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars a year for twenty years. Who am I to say anything negative yeah. about that? So it's so it's kind of a bad spot to be in. No, no, well said, well said. I think the thing that you have to be the way I, what I would look at is that okay, what are you doing to continue to fuel that referral business? So show me what your referral program is, and show me what your loyalty or rewards program is i would i would then shift to looking at that what do you think exactly yeah, yeah there's got there's got to be a system and it, and it all boils down to systems if it i have found it in a business in any business if it's not systematized it doesn't get done yeah yeah all right excellent thank you let's uh we'll start to begin to wrap it up what what is your role then as a broker i, I think most of us understand that but if you could clarify that for us at a high level whether i'm buying or selling a business, what is your role typically? Let's uh, kind of separate those two spots. So on, on the selling side, I would meet with sellers, determine fair market value of their business and get it ready to go to market. And then we go find a buyer for them, help negotiate the transaction and help it close. Now I say that quickly, but there's a lot of parts and, and steps along the way, but that is, at the end of the day, that's what I do. On the buyer side, if I'm working with buyers, it's helped them to find opportunities that that we feel are good opportunities for for a good price. And so um, the buyer side, because the market's so strong right now, that's kind of a harder spot to be in because the, determining, you know, what's really a good price in a business um, in in a rising market is somewhat challenging, um, but it's basically helping them avoid the the pitfalls and potholes and and look for opportunities within a, a customer base and a business base. And as with the real estate, your fee is paid by the seller, correct? Exactly. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. All right. If I'm getting, let's take it from the two sides as well as I, am I thinking of buying this type of business, a heating and air company, where should I start? Where should my process start? You know, there's a lot of online sites, biz by sell, business broker, businesses for sale, my website. You know, if you're looking at heating and air, 
Um, so online is a, is a great first place. The only thing that I caution is because something is listed for sale at a certain price doesn't mean that's where it's going to sell. And unfortunately, a lot of well-meaning brokers either don't know the numbers or don't want to hurt their clients' feelings, and they'll list things way over market value. So, so just be careful as you're looking at the outliers. As you had mentioned initially, Henry, in talking about the numbers in the business, there, there's going to be a lot of outliers there. But as you look at a lot of them, you'll start to notice trends and be able to see a good indication of, of where they should be priced and why. Yeah, great advice. And where, where can they go for your website? Tell us the, the URL because you've got a lot of content there as well as on your YouTube channel, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's businessmodificationgroup.com. So a lot of long, long words there, but businessmodificationgroup.com. And, and you're right. I do have a lot of information out there. I try to educate people as much as I can because most people don't know where to go. And, and so on my site, I've got articles, videos on my YouTube channel, on my Facebook, my LinkedIn. I, I try to be on online quite a bit. How did you come up with that name? A business modification group. How, how does so it's, it, it's a, a long story that I'll try to make short. So prior <laughs> to becoming a business broker, I was doing consulting work, helping I people see. grow their companies. That's what I thought. And, yeah. and so we were, we were really focused more on growth. And here's the thing I realized. People would rather sell their company and walk away than put in the work to make it better. Yeah, love it. Okay, so that relates to on the flip side of the question, if I have uh, an HVAC business and I'm thinking about selling, do I start with the stuff you listed, which is start to clean up my books if they're not, to start to make sure it's an owner independent business as much as possible, those things is where I should start? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I would start talking to brokers. If, if you're going to use a broker, which certainly I would suggest for a lot of different reasons, but Find somebody you feel comfortable with and you trust. If I'm not that person and for somebody, I, I'll refer them off to other people until they can find that person. Most people, um, and I hate to say most, but most people only get one chance at selling it. And so making sure you do it right, um, because there's no do-overs when it comes to selling your company. Yeah, I agree completely with making sure that it's a person, the broker is someone that, that is a fit for you. And in my experience, most brokers will give you a free consultation to just have that initial conversation to see if it might be a fit, right? Absolutely. Do, do your research on them. You know, now online, you could find out almost anything about anyone. And before you even have that meeting and then, and then, you know, their expertise, what they've done, who they know. And then, yeah, absolutely. Sit down face to face and, and see if you think, is this the person I'm going to trust with the biggest check of my life? Um, because it's a big decision, both financially and emotionally. When I sold my first business, my financial planning company, I had done nothing else. That's I was known in town as the financial advisor. My kids were raised in the office. I mean, that it was a lot of my identity tied to that. And so it emotionally it was a big thing as well as financially. Yeah, great point. All right. Uh speaking of learning, I'm always interested in book recommendations. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, I think as we're talking about the buying and selling, there's a book called Built to Sell, um, and it's all about building a business that's worth selling. And I, I, my, my business philosophy changed when I started to sell other companies, um, and so there's really a difference in building a business that you want to sell someday because 
you're building it for what a buyer would want. And the reality is that's also what you're going to want. And so as you look at what a buyer wants and you build your business that way, it ends up being a business you don't want to sell and built to sell talks about a lot of those things. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Great point. One of my favorite books, I actually had the opportunity to have John Worla, who's the author of Built to Sell on the podcast. And it's, Oh, wonderful. It's, it's one of the top recommended books. So I, thank you for sharing that. All right, we'll wrap it up then, Patrick. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation? Because we looked at both sides, buying and selling, just at a general level about the HVAC business, the heating and air business, and as a potential business. I mean, obviously, I believe in the heating and air space, but I think to take away more from this is there's a lot of different industries you can make money in. Uh, and so I, I, I don't know that I want to stand on my soapbox and say heating and air is the only place you should go because that's where I'm at. Um, but I do believe that. <laughs> but but I, I just think that there's so many opportunities out there. It's finding what's the right fit for you and making an educated choice and, and following a process to get it done. And I think you'll be happy you do. I'm curious because you've done this so many times before and you mentioned earlier about making sure you find something that's the right fit, like you just summarized on, maybe it's an HVAC business, maybe it's something else. As you said, you drive up 75 and you see opportunities all the time. When you get past that in your process, what do you do next to decide go, no go on further vetting an idea or not? What, what do you do next after you feel like it's an alignment for you? You know, I'm, I'm a big gut feeling kind of person and, and a, I, I call it shaking hands and kissing babies. I, I, I like to get in front of people and, uh, and meet, meet the sellers. Um, are they good people? Um, do I feel comfortable around them? Do asking them questions about the community, about the business, about their employees, you'll meet with people and it's all employees stink and all customers are bad and the landlord's not a good person and the town shit. And, and I, and I don't want, I don't want somebody's headache. Yeah. So, so meeting people that talk about opportunities and how wonderful their employees are and how great their neighbors are. And, and so that's, that's, a, that's a great seller for me personally, when I'm looking at a business to buy um, and then, and then take the emotion out and do the numbers make sense. Cause yeah. at the end of the day, you're buying a business for what it's doing, not what it could do. Yeah. So, so making sure that the check you write emotionally out of it, that it, it makes mathematical sense for you. Great point. Great, good stuff. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more about you and your business. Yeah, absolutely. Social media or my website, businessmodificationgroup.com. My phone number is listed on there. Give me a call. Send me an email. I'm happy to help out any way I can. And, and if you're looking at other fields and want referrals to other brokers or that type of thing, uh, I'm happy to send you anybody that I know and, and point you in the right direction. Excellent. Patrick, great conversation. Thanks for sharing all of this knowledge, for answering all these questions. It's been a lot for me to, to learn. So thanks for being with me today. Hey, thank you for the opportunity, Henry. I had a great time and I, and I really appreciate you allowing me to come on. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Patrick Lang. I release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.